Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Allie LaForce, who is a basketball reporter for CBS and TNT. Hello, everybody. I'm going to wait till my first question pops up. Okay, we have some people joining, so I think this is working. I hope everybody's doing okay. And um, before we get this thing kicked off and started and we start talking about journalism, I just want everybody to know that I'm praying every single day, and I hope that everybody's safe. I hope that your families are safe. And for those who you know have been diagnosed with the corona, we're praying for you every single day. And I wish I could do more. And um, it's such a strange time. It's such a difficult time. But um, Joe and I are with you. Our families are with you. And um, prayers are up. Everybody's healthy here so far, knock on wood. So, gosh, we miss sports. Um, I also want to give a big, big thanks to Ernie Johnson for setting up the EJ School of Journalism so we can all hang out and interact on, on social media. This is just another reason why he is such a great teammate, always connecting people and uh, always there for everyone else. Uh, doing the unselfish thing. That's why EJ is the absolute best that there is. So we're hanging out. EJ wanted uh, everybody to start by sort of sharing their story, uh, why they are the way they are, and uh, how they got to where they are in journalism as well. So mine starts, uh, my stories, it's, um, I feel like I've been really blessed and grateful. And um, there have been a lot of things in my life that have happened that have led me to this exact role. Um, because of the way everything lined up in my life, I feel like what happened in my childhood and what my parents set me up to do and be uh, led perfectly to this profession, which I'm so, so grateful. I see a Go Bobcats comment. What's up, Go Bobcats? I went to Ohio University. We'll get to that later. But I grew up in a, a killer family, just awesome family in Ohio, um, right outside of Cleveland. And so, yes, I'm a suffering Browns fan, but thank you, LeBron and uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers for bringing us a championship. Much appreciated. I'm never going to forget that one. Uh, I was actually there in Golden State. That was one of the coolest moments in sports I've ever been a part of. But grew up in Cleveland and uh, went to high school and outside of Cleveland, um, went to college in Ohio, all of that. My parents are awesome. I mean, they're the heart and soul of everything that I do. My father, um, he played football at Wittenberg, which is a Division three school in Ohio, and they won a national championship. And my mom um, played tennis and cheered at Kent State, which is a Mac school. Um, that had a little bit of influence on me joining the Mac, but not a ton, but her story is really super great. She grew up on a dairy farm, um, with six kids and her mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa moved into their farmhouse when they were 18 years old, raised six kids in it. And, um, they ended up passing away together in that farmhouse too. Just like the most perfect love story of a life. But yeah, six kids in, in one small farmhouse um, led to a lot of exciting moments. And my mom and her brothers and sisters are all super close. But I think that instilled a work ethic in her of getting up every single day before school, milking the cows, farming every single day, didn't miss a day at church in 18 days. But it built a toughness in her that she tried to pass down to her children. And we, we didn't have to work that hard growing up. Um, we had chores. We had to have jobs. We all played multiple sports, but we certainly didn't have to you know, farm every single day at four in the morning before school, um, like she did. So big shout out to mom and to my aunt Connie, who I know is listening, who's one of her sisters who always listens to everything I do. And it's such a huge support system for me. So that's my parents. My dad is a, 
he has a twin sister, so he's so good with women. Like he just understands what we go through. And so we were, we always had a really close bond, I think because he had a sister. Um, I have a brother and he played football at Mount Union College, a uh, division three school also in Ohio. You probably have seen them on ESPN. They won so many national championships and he got to be a part of that. And then my sister, um, she is just has defied all odds and overcame everything. She has broken every bone in her body, almost glasses, braces, you name it. Um, but she played basketball in college and now she's in her third year of medical school. And so it was really scary when all of this Corona news was, was happening because you think of your loved ones that you know in the medical field. And I just want to say thank you to all the, the first responders and all of those who are taking care of everybody in the hospitals and risking their lives for other people's safety. Man, I just, I can't imagine being in that position. And I'm so grateful for all of those who are fighting for others. My sister's going to be one of them. And um, so she's at home right now and she's taking a lot of her classes online, but she's just a fighter and just a super cool human. So as you can tell, I really love my family. They're amazing. Um, hello, Cleveland State Senior, by the way. Ohio, um, love the Ohio connections. Yeah, me too. I Anybody that knows me knows that all things come back to Cleveland, Ohio. I think it's the greatest place on earth. My husband and I, um, my husband Joe and I met there and we'll raise a family there eventually when we're, when we're both done fulfilling our dream careers. Um, but I love my family. We're super close. I have like 28 cousins and most of them are in Ohio, but they're scattered all over too. So anyways, um, my mom owns a modeling agency in Atlanta, Georgia. So she grew up on a farm, played college sports, owns a modeling agency. So super cool story. Um, so growing up, my aunt Connie, who I mentioned, she was a varsity basketball coach and she lived with us. So I had a, a mom that owned a modeling agency and a varsity basketball coach as my second mom in the house. And then my dad traveled for work and was a great athlete too and just a great human. Um, and so together, they made sure we had a little bit of everything. So we, I played basketball, softball, volleyball, ran track, um, went to sailing camp every summer, did every camp you can imagine. Um, and then my mom, she noticed that I was getting a little tomboyish because I would, I didn't really go to a babysitter because my aunt was there to take care of us. But when she would have her basketball practices, we just went along with her. So three hours a day we spent in a gym. And that's where I really fell in love with basketball. And we used to write stuff on our ceiling and on the wall at home, just talking about our goals as basketball players, make it to the WNBA or, um, you know, make 20 free throws before missing one, um, score 30 in a game. And we had all of our goals uh, written all over our room. And so basketball was just such a part of our everyday, uh, everyday life. Um, all my role models were my aunt's players that played on her varsity basketball team or softball team. She coached softball too. So we couldn't get away with anything because we had three parents and they were all so in love with sports. So we became in love with sports too. And my brother's only one year younger than me. So we competed every single second. Uh, and yeah, we don't compete as much anymore, but it was fun having a sibling who was a boy to beat you up a little bit and it made me tough and my parents made me tough. And so anyways, my mom was like, okay, you're getting really into this basketball thing. You need to learn the other side. You need to learn how to do your hair and makeup and interview skills and um, how to dress up and be a lady and all these things. And I'm like, why? That sounds terrible. So she actually um, signed me up for Miss Teen Ohio. And I didn't know it at the time, but she was a former Miss Ohio. And she went on to Miss USA and um, that's where she got the uh, job opportunity to own her own modeling agency. And, and she's been doing that for 
over 30 years now. So a lot of great things came out of the pageant system for her. Think about a farm girl played college um, tennis. So she's not, she wasn't a big girly girl, but her, her whole career she owes to the one pageant that she did do. So she made me do it. And uh, I remember showing up to Miss Ohio and I kind of had makeup on like this, like my freckles were showing and it was just light makeup. And to me, I thought that was a lot because I was a teenager and everybody was just like, full airbrush makeup and fake eyelashes and I just started bawling like, I'm way out of my league this sucks I'm gonna lose and so she just said you're gonna be fine it's a learning experience even if you lose they're gonna ask you a lot of questions about yourself what do you want to do with your life how do you want to change the world you'll you know have to work on being up on a stage and presenting yourself and these are these are great skills to just learn and so she's trying to convince me to do it so anyway she she coached me right into a victory and um, my final question on stage um, before I answered it, it, it was Ohio, the day of the Ohio State Michigan game, and we haven't hadn't missed one my whole life. And so I saw my dad walking in and out of the auditorium to check the score in the hallway. And so I grabbed the mic and I asked what the score was because I couldn't think straight unless I knew. And I, that I think that the like the people in the, the seats and the judges really like that. And that's when that was one of my first lessons that I learned about just that people will respect you more if you're genuine and. It may not be perfect. It may not be what they're looking for. It may not be, you know, the 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 perfect, most ideal um, way to go about something like grabbing the mic on a pageant stage and asking about a sporting event. But if it's you, that's all that matters. So um, I remember one of my coaches after I won Miss Ohio, you got a coach for a year and then you went on to compete at Miss Teen USA. And um, I was fortunate enough to win that as well. So. It was crazy. I mean, I was, I just love sports. All I wanted to do was play in the WNBA. And then here I am at 15 years old and I win Miss Teen USA and um, they move you to New York City. You live in New York City for a year with Miss USA and Miss Universe. It's wild. Um, and so I learned everything I needed to know to be in sports TV basically by the time I was 15. I traveled to 25 different states, three different countries, lived in New York City, did school on the side. Um, still came home for my basketball season, had to deal a lot with politics in high school with people being upset if I missed a practice here or there to do a big trip for the pageant system and um, sharing minutes and just balancing how to be a great teammate and be present but be missing sometimes and ba balancing travel and work and school and um, what you really love and what you're actually being a little bit forced to do um, and how to find your way through all that. I did all that by the time I was 16. So. Um, when that ended, what they don't tell you in pageantry is they don't tell you that when the pageant ends, you just go home and you become a high school student again. So I just traveled the world for an entire year, had a stylist and um, like got to do the craziest stuff. I was traveling private and dressing up all the time, going to red carpet events. And like I was at Bette Midler's birthday party and all this stuff. And then they're like, great it was a good year but somebody else won it's the next year now and so back to Ohio you go and I had to go back to my senior year of high school which is super interesting after doing all that but um, it allowed me to refocus on basketball so I just trained and trained and trained and I ended up walking on at Ohio University and that was the greatest experience of my life because their journalism school is absolutely incredible um, 
they allow the students to work right from their freshman year. So you're you're doing 5 a.m. radio sports broadcast, producing them and going on the air your freshman year of college. Uh, the script school journalism is insane. And then the WOUB news station allowed students to work. So then you'd work your way up to later stations so you don't have to get up before in the morning. And then um, I shot every single college football game with a huge, massive camera, which gave me so much respect for the camera guys that I work um, with at TNT and CBS for all the hard work that they do because those are not light. Um, I produced our college football coaches show. Um, I called men's basketball games and then um, I made the women's basketball team. So I got to play basketball and fulfill my dream. I didn't get a lot of minutes, but um, I was a part of two coaching staffs, which was probably the greatest learning experience that I could have had. Uh, two different styles of play, two different coaching methods. Um, I had Sylvia Crawley. She played at North Carolina and then ended up going on to coach at Boston College. And then Samika Randall, who played on the undefeated Tennessee team, won championships there. Um, she played in the WNBA. Like she, I remember her very vividly because my aunt Connie, who was the coach, she would um, she would drive me down to Tennessee in the summers to go to the Tennessee women's basketball camp. And so I remember Samika and when she became my head coach, I almost, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. If I should ask for an autograph or I should uh, just play it cool and pretend like we're all good and we're friends here. So I, I did a little bit of both. I told her how much, you know, she had meant to me growing up and what Pat Summit meant to me, which was pretty much everything. Uh, that's one woman that I wish I could have really hugged and just said thank you to for <laughs> not just, not just breaking down any barrier stereotype when it came to women coaches, but just pushing every single athlete that she had to be the greatest version of themselves, breaking them all the way down and building them up to being stronger than they could ever imagine. Um, that was definitely the number one benefit of playing college sports was when you think you're done and that you've given everything that you have, you got two hours left to practice and there's a girl next to you fighting for her life. And so are you. And it, it, it shows you that, your mind is so powerful and that it can give up before your body does. And um, you can push it to limits that, that they've never been pushed before. And so I think just when it comes to small life battles, big life battles, that mentality was such a valuable one. Um, and I, I really can't imagine living this life without those lessons. But um, anyways, I'm married to a guy named Joe Smith. He is my best friend. He's awesome met him in Ohio. He's from Cincinnati. He went to Wright State University and he was playing for the Cleveland Indians when I was working at Fox 8 News in Cleveland. And um, I got the Fox 8 job because my last year of college, I didn't play basketball. I traveled with the team and did all the radio broadcasts to just start building a reel. So then Sports Time Ohio, a regional sports station, allowed me to do women's basketball games for sideline and color commentating for the high school state championships. And so I had a nice little reel and um, I interned at Fox 8. I told them I'll do anything. I'll shoot, I'll write, I'll edit. Um, I'll do anything you want. And so I was interning there and working for free. And then they started telling me, if you put together a story and it's good enough to air, we'll pay you per story and you can get on the air. And if it doesn't get on the air, it's not a story that's going to break or make the telecast. So I started there. I, I went out and shot and wrote and, and was on camera. And it was a really, you had to work really hard, but it was, I was so grateful to be in a top 20 market. And it was such a weird time because people coming out of college that were my age, we were trained in college to do everything digitally, to shoot, write, edit, and be our own one-man band. And when you went to local news, they were still using tape. 
they were just transferring to digital. And so they needed our expertise. Um, a lot of people that were older needed us to show them how to edit on Final Cut Pro or whatever system it was that they're using. But they were also really upset and disgruntled as they should be because there's these guys who have perfected their craft of shooting camera or editing um, and their jobs are all being taken and replaced by a young person who's not as talented and will work for cheaper. And so it was just a, a time with a lot of conflict in, in local TV and television. And as you can see now, TV has only continued to shift since then. Um, with everybody going, you know, doing these live Twitter broadcasts, live Instagram broadcasts, we're watching our favorite national networks, um, you know, from, from our home and we're watching our favorite broadcasters talk to us from their home. And I think it's, it's a weird time. I think actually this Corona epidemic is really going to help us understand how to navigate the future of television. They've been trying to figure out how to cut costs and do this more effectively where young people don't have televisions anymore and they're not buying cable and they, they want to watch like this. And I think it's pretty cool when you see your favorite celebrities or sportscasters in a hoodie in their house or wearing a baseball cap and talking to you. It makes me feel like I'm more connected to them. Like it's more real. Um, it was even weird to do this. Like I didn't want to put makeup on, but I'm thinking it's kind of weird. They're used to seeing you on TV with makeup. So I put a little bit on, but um, pretty much the first time since this Corona stuff happened that I've actually um, put makeup on. But anyways, so I met Joe in Cleveland and then I got uh, my first national networking uh, gig in California. It was called Lead Off and it was a show with Doug Gottlieb. It was an hour every night on CBS Sports Network. And uh, Joe ended up moving out to California because he signed with the Angels. So we got to live together and that's where our relationship kicked off. So got a dog, bought a house, had a TV show. He was playing down the street. And then since then we've been on like five or six different teams and moved all over the country. But CBS was awesome to me. I loved doing SEC football and then transitioned into full-time basketball, which is my love and passion from an early age. So anyways, I know that was long. That kind of sums up the whole deal. But this is a Q&A, so I'm going to I'm gonna try to see how I can. I think the questions come pretty fast. I saw that somebody just said that they wanted to um, start asking questions. So I am looking for the questions. It says scroll up. Here we go here. I'm starting to report for ESPN at Belmont University. I am confident in material until I get on camera. Um, how do you approach being on camera and how do you prepare? So this is, I think it's really hard to watch yourself on camera. Like that's one of the hardest things to do, even to hear themselves. I mean, it's really hard. So you got to suck it up and you got to take a camera out and you have to film yourself doing standups and you have to watch them over and over again and shoot a hundred of them. Um, change up your tone and your voice, change up where you're focusing on when you're looking in the camera, change up your intro and your lead and your tag and do about a hundred different versions and go home and watch it. And then don't only watch it that day, but go back the next day and watch it and see how your perspective has changed. Find people that will be honest with you. You got to find people that are not just gonna try to be nice to you. Um, I had friends like Tony Castricone and Brian Bush, and I don't know if they're watching, but really influential people in college that were like, that's horrible, do this better, you could do this better, you're improving in this area. And so find find journalism students that, that will help you through and just the more reps, the better. Um, that's how we all get better at anything in life is, is just more reps. So you'll be great, hang in there, um, practice makes perfect. So let's see, how has playing sports helped with the broadcasting career? It's pretty much been everything, honestly. Um, 
you have to appreciate the entire team, right? Everybody's different specific roles. You have star players, you have role players, you have everything in between. Uh, you have coaches, which are like bosses. How do you work as a unit? And I think in television, uh, people make the mistake by not appreciating and understanding what everybody else working is going through, right? Your camp, the, whoever's running operations in the truck, who's building the graphics, who's running the camera, uh, your producer, your um, sideline reporter, I mean, a sideline producer, if you're fortunate enough to have one. I didn't have one until I got to um, CBS and got SEC on CBS football. That was the first time. So for the first six or seven years of my career, I never had one. But um, understanding everybody's roles and how they as a team make a great collective unit. I would say that's number one. My sports have influenced my broadcasting career. Um, let's see. Do you have a preferred contact method where I could send you a reel? Just shoot, just shoot me a, a DM with your reel. I, I would love to check it out. I'd be, I'd be super happy to. Um, how do you go about getting quotes from a team huddle during your in-game hits? Great question. It's um, more or less challenging depending on what sport you're covering. So, for example, when I'm covering basketball, it's extremely – I'm not going to say extremely easy, but it's, it's easy for me because I played in college and I know what it means when people draw up plays, right? I know the X's and O's, and if someone draws up a quick – out of bounds play or a full court press. I know the terminology. I don't need to hear what they're saying to know what's going on. Um, in football, it's a lot harder because you can't really stand behind the bench. Um, you have to keep moving, and then you're so far away, and there's so many guys. It's hard to hear. So you look for, you look for the emotional moments. You look for the body language, and then you try to listen in. The the NBA is tough because the coaches wear mics, which is outstanding. And, and we get to listen to the mics and use our own discretion on what we use on the broadcast. Um, and, and you can listen into the huddle, but you're not really supposed to say they, a lot of coaches use bad language. So you can't say that on television. And if they say something about the other team that might make them look bad, it's, you, you have to really use your judgment on what's appropriate. If they're speaking to their own team, we need to do this better. We need to hustle better. We need to come, you know, we need to, our ball screen defense needs to be better. Those are things that you can report and you can hear really easily because the NBA is cooperative. The coaches wear the mics and they let you stand in the huddle, but um, different leagues control it differently. I, I remember um, doing a few NFL games where what you said was pretty controlled. Like I would go on the air with the report and then you know, someone from PR would come up to me five seconds later. Did you say this? Why'd you say this? Please don't say this. So it's, um, in college, it's a lot easier. It's a lot more free. Um, during the NCAA tournament though, there are restrictions on how close you can stand to the huddle and gosh, I missed the NCAA tournament, but yeah, I think, uh, lip reading and uh, reading body language and knowing that you don't have to have an exact quote to do a report. It could be they're furious in there or the team's not speaking or these two just got in a spat um, and you can tell emotions are running high. That's a report. Or if it's a really tense game and everybody's just sitting there not talking, that's a report because you would think in this moment there would be chaos. The team is totally calm. Um, so you don't need a direct quote to make a good report. Just keep that in mind um, for the future. So let's see. Um, how do you develop an audition tape? Uh, one of the I was allowed to intern at Fox 8 because one of the most terrifying things I saw was watching the bosses watch audition tapes. Let me just tell you, lead with your best stuff because they don't get through the first two minutes if they don't like you. They don't even get through the first 30 seconds if they don't like you. So put your best stuff at the top. Uh, mix it up, right? Show that you're diverse. So have a, a long, a short stand-up, an in-game report, um, a long feature piece. Um, just mix it up and, and show all your skill sets so they don't think you're one-dimensional because now... You can't get hired if you're one-dimensional. There's too many talented people that can do um, be diverse and mix it up. Um, 
what would you say to students who do sports and general news reporting? Is it good or bad? No, I think it's smart. Um, when I started in local TV, I did mostly sports, but sports were cut down to three minutes in an hour telecast. So when there was breaking news or really serious things going on in the news, um, they were reporting. So I think, I think objectivity is the number one most important thing in news reporting, and I think that's been lost in our in our country um, for years. And I hope it comes back. And I hope that this Corona epidemic is is forcing us into some more responsible journalism um, and less opinion. Um, so I guess it depends if you're doing objective news reporting or opinion reporting, but definitely one both. That's the bottom line there. Um, let's see. Uh, as a play-by-play -play guy, what are the things that broadcasters like myself can do to make the lives of sideline reporters easier? That was really unselfish and nice of you to ask. So, really good question. Um, I think the best broadcasts are when the play-by-play, -play, the color analyst, and the sideline reporter are all interactive. So, after you toss to the sideline reporter for a report, listen to what they're saying and potentially ask a follow-up question because what's really hard about sideline reporting is we have a lot of information, but we're not allowed to talk over a play in football. And in basketball, if a dunk or three-pointer happens, we're told to get out of our reporter, wrap it up quickly. Well, we have a lot more to share and we do a lot of preparation for the games and we'd love to get more on. So maybe come back, ask a follow-up question, and then later in the game, if you feel like the report's relevant again, um, reference that we did the report earlier in the game. Don't assume that everybody showed it um, or saw it and um, ask the sideline reporter to come back in and then talk to your producers about leaving the sideline reporter mic open so if there is a follow-up question you can have interactions because i i feel i feel pretty intimidated by an awkward um to ask to be on more it's not in my comfort zone because i i do want to be a part of a team and i want what's best for the team i don't want it to be about myself and getting on television but i i do know i can offer a lot more so it's helpful when those requests come from um, a play-by-play -play or a color commentator. So just talk to your reporter before the game, um, see what story she has, and don't steal them for yourself because some people do that. It's not very nice. Reference them and then say for more, here's your sideline reporter. Those would be my tips. Um, best advice for asking unique questions during an interview. That's that's a super solid question. So one of the things I, I it's about the person you're interviewing. That's what people want to hear from. They're the experts in what they Hey, sorry, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I lost you. I'm so sorry. The connection must have broke up. Um, I forget. Oh, asking inter interesting questions. As a journalist, as a sideline reporter, it's not about you. It's about the subject you're interviewing. And that's what you always have to remember. So longer is not better. And it's hard when you're young and you're just starting out. You want to show that you've prepared and that you have all this information. But I think better um, journalism, better questions, and better reporting um, aren't necessarily the longer ones. Um, be educated and understand your subject. That's the key. So understand how to get to the core of who they are. Think about what you want them to say and what you want to get out of the interview and then craft your questions based on that and try to think outside of yourself and more about the subject and, and what motivates them and what makes them emotional and what makes them tick. Um, don't be afraid to ask people close to them before the interview what those things are, whether it's assistant coaches or um, people in the community that, that they know. Do your homework and do your research and it'll show in your interview, in my opinion. How do you develop your voice for being on air? This is, this is a good question. Um, I always had a deep voice. 
my parents would make fun of me because my brother's a year younger. My voice is deeper than his. Uh, but a lot of people do uh, voice lessons. There's a lot of wonderful exercises that you can um, YouTube. I, I don't practice a lot of them. My voice is pretty deep on its own, so it carries through loud noises. But the key is when you're going live, if you're in a stadium or a really packed arena, um, your pitch will go up naturally and you don't even notice it. So practicing keeping a deep pitch. And then um, a trick that I learned was not taking a deep breath before a report, but allowing a breath. Um, so that way you can talk for longer and you can keep your pitch down. Some people though have really unique voices that aren't necessarily perfect broadcast voices and then they get known for those voices and that becomes a signature for them. So don't, don't try to change your voice too much, but, um, there definitely is a tone that I think the audience likes and can listen to for longer and just try to stay deep in it. How do you go about interviewing difficult players and coaches? Um, and then one underneath that um can you tell us a time where an interview went south for you so you guys i mean if you follow sports at all you know that that coach popovich can be a really difficult end game interview but it's funny because he's he's such an unbelievable coach in basketball my i mean one of the greatest ever and in the meetings with the broadcast team before the game he is will answer your questions at length and is so respectful and such a great coach so it's when it's hard to get mad at him in game it's just he doesn't he doesn't like that he's interviewed in game so he's protesting a system not you so it's you have to remember sometimes not to take it personal um but if a coach shows emotion you might consider it a fail but it might be a successful interview because it's showing the moment um he's answered me many times with just one or two words and it can be awkward but know your subject right be ready for a follow-up think about um what if anything will get him to elaborate and respond and yeah, I mean, coaches have a lot of egos, so do players, so we all do, you know. Um, so just try to recognize what they're going through at the moment. Was it a big a big play that changed the course of the game and they don't want to talk to you? Well, that's not your fault. They Who would want to talk to you if they were, you know, a win was on a line or a loss in a big game and a big moment in the heat of the moment. So try to respect who you're interviewing and um, just know that if you're helping portray what they're going through, then that's your job and then you're doing their job. So don't try to have a definition in, of, in your head of what a great interview is um, outside of the fact that if you get someone to really show their emotion and what they're going through and get to show themselves in an accurate light, then you did a good job. Um, let's see, have you ever said something too specific about strategy from Huddle? Yeah, I have. I've gotten in trouble for that before. Don't do that. <laughs> um, best OU Halloween costume. Oh, that's such a good one. If for anybody that doesn't know, um, Halloween at Ohio University is pretty legendary. Um, yeah. My first couple of years at OU, I didn't drink because I was a walk-on on the team, and I, I just never drank in my life. And then my third year, I went pretty crazy on Halloween, and it was a blast, and I have no regrets. It was so much fun. My roommates and I were Corona bottles one time, and we had um, we had these, like, headbands that had big lime, limes on them. That was fun. But another one that I thought was so great was when my brother came to visit with his friends, um, Everybody was dominoes, so you would just bump into somebody, and then everybody would fall over in a line and get back up, and I thought that was really fun. Um, those two are probably my favorite, but gosh, there's so many good ones. I think I saw a group that was the Jamaican bobsled team, and they, they made the bobsled a cooler, and they kept all the beers in the bobsled, and then they, they carried it down the streets of Athens. It was amazing. If anybody on here, by the way, um, is able to share your best Halloween costume from OU, I'd love to hear it. And a reminder, it's April Fool's, so 
Number one, if you have any good ideas for pranks for me to do on Joe today, send me ideas. And don't forget to prank um, your best friend or your family members because it only comes around once a year. How do you develop stories for sideline hits with unique information? Um, I think multiple sources is the key. So read, 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 read every article you possibly can. And then if there's a story about a kid who didn't want to play basketball and it was his high school or middle school principal who inspired him and got him to try out for the first time, get in the phone book, look up the high school or the middle school they went to, try to get a hold of the, the principal from the school and get his perspective. Maybe interview an aunt or an uncle or somebody that inspired them. Don't just stop with trying to get an interview with your specific subject. Go beyond, get multiple sources, dig deeper than anyone else was because, you know, the whole point of a sideline reporter is to, de is to deliver information that the play-by-play -play and the color commentator can't either because they can't see it or they're focusing on calling the game. So do your homework outside of just what's in the game notes um, and try to make it relevant to the game action. A perfect time to do that in basketball is if a player's at a free throw line because you know there's a specific amount of time without a big play happening to where you can tell a great story about a player. Um, I also try to look at the starters and then like the first three guys off the bench and just dive really deep and then kind of skim through the rest because there's just not enough time as a sideline reporter. Um, but just get to know, get to know teams and players, keep notes. And that way you can, if you have that team or if you have a game again, you can go back and re-reference uh, those notes and you can revisit a story. Oh my gosh, he, he overcame this illness three years ago. I totally forgot about that. He's been healthy for so long. I forgot it happened. But in my notes, I see, I wonder if he's been affected since or what he learned from that. Those are all great story ideas. Um, and don't limit yourself, you know, watch other reporters, watch other announcers and learn from them. Allie, how are you and Joe? Hope you guys are doing great. Aside from no sports. Thank you. Um, sports have taught me um, so much, mainly to not plan anything ever. Don't plan your stories going into a game. The game's going to change. Don't plan your questions. The moment's going to change right before you ask the questions. Don't plan your life around a work schedule because something like Corona can happen. Um, Joe and I have been trying to have a kid for three years, and so he's at risk for a disease called Huntington's disease. And um, we realize that your children each have a 50% chance of having it, but if you go through in vitro fertilization or IVF, you can have a child without the disease by using embryos that test negative for it, and then it's out of your family line forever. So we've been through multiple egg retrievals, and we've created embryos and done all that fun stuff. And I've shared my story publicly on Instagram and um, Twitter if you guys want to check it out. But or go to healthcarehd.org. But um, finally, we had planned for April 6th, we were gonna transfer a baby in. And we planned it around the fact that we would be moving from spring training to Houston for the baseball season. He plays baseball. It was an off day, so he could be there at my surgery. And it was right in between the final four and the NBA playoffs starting, which was my only window that I could actually have a surgery and recover. Well, of course, baseball's delayed, it's not being played, and the NBA is not being played, and the Final Four isn't being played, and it's not safe to go through surgery. So once again, we're um, just trusting God's plan and, and trying to be patient. But thank you for asking how we're doing. We're great. We, we've never had this time together. It's always my season into his season, and um, we've never like had a weekend where we're not working. Um, we've never really went on vacation together, um, even though I consider spring training vacation in between March Madness rounds. But we're just hanging out and getting to know each other, which I think is really valuable before we have kids to, to do as much as possible. So long story short, we're great. And you're so sweet for asking. Thank you so much. Let's see. Um, how do you develop creative questions when the game is stagnant? Love this question. Um, this happens a lot. Um, 
Yeah, this is, it's really hard. I think just the, remember that coaches are always coaching. They always want their team to do better and they're always figuring out ways to develop players individually. So, you know, maybe if it's a blowout game or a stagnant game and a player gets in that hasn't had a lot of minutes, just ask the coach, what do you think about those, those minutes? We, we haven't gotten to see a lot from him this season. Do you feel like he stepped up to the challenge or how is your team developing um, during this, you know, big deficit or big lead what can your team individually work on what are you looking for as a coach out there um what upset you if, if they're upset with an official what what irked that reaction um just try to understand what they're going through and know that even though it's not a good game that doesn't mean there aren't good storylines and questions to to ask um even you know this has to be challenging as a coach to be a part of a, a game like this how do you re-motivate your players or do you feel like it's up to them to motivate themselves those are just some examples of ways that you can um you know tie in a, a stagnant game and, and make it interesting for people to hear have you ever met Vin Scully I haven't I've worked with a lot of great legends Vern Lundquist and oh my gosh Bill Raftery and Gary Danielson and um at, like Brian Anderson Ian Eagle so many great ones um Marv Albert God, Chris Weber Reggie Miller it's such an incredible blessing um all the people i've worked with but vince kelly i've never met and he is one of the greatest of all time to do it and i'll be listening to his calls for the rest of my life no matter what so big shout out to to, to vin and everything that he's done for for the sport and for broadcasting too what a, what a legend what an awesome legend the best memory from working march madness good question it was, well, it wasn't really, okay, probably my very first March Madness, I got to work with Vern Lundquist and Bill Raftery. This was insane. Like, I was young, right out of school, and they're legends, Hall of Famers, and it was the first time we did um, the eight practices in one day, and then you do four games the next day. So each practice is an hour, hour and a half long. You do eight straight, and then the next day you call four games, and you're just trying to figure out how to remember people's names, and I'm working with them. And they, they ran a graphic during the game of what we were all doing in 1988. It was a picture of me as a baby and them in their early broadcast career. And I think my favorite memory was after that game, we all went into the conference room in the hotel and just ordered a bunch of chicken wings and had a drink and just were just taking it all in from the madness of everything. And um, I was there when Vern did his very first FaceTime. And I will never forget calling four games with Vern Lundquist and Bill Raftery and then getting to teach him FaceTime. It was just the coolest memory. And he's those two are two of the greatest humans I've ever met. So I'm so grateful to have gotten to work with them for when I did. What wisdom would you share with young women who want to pursue broadcasting? It would be the, it would be the same advice I'd share with men. You got to try to be the best version of yourself. You have to be the try to be the best broadcaster you can possibly be, despite whether you're a woman or a man. We should all strive to be the greatest in our profession that we can be. That requires a lot of reps, a lot of practice. And I truly believe in this day and age, it, it's 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 still hard for women. And, and we've come a long way and there's still a long way to go. But thanks to Doris Burks and the women that are getting in the broadcast booth, they're showing it's possible. And if you're good, if you're really good at what you do, you can be in the booth too. You got to get reps though. You have to sacrifice a lot of time. You have to work for free for a long time and uh, really learn your craft. And if you do, man or woman, uh, you're going to make it and you're going to have fun doing it because it's fun to know what you're doing. It's not fun to be scared. It's not fun to be underprepared. So just get out there and go for it. Um, if, you, if you really want it, just put the time in. That, that would be the best advice that I could possibly give to you for sure. All right, let's see. Whoa, I'm outside and it's windy and the curtain just blew my face. Um, let's see here. Who is Joe playing for these days? He's playing with the Houston Astros. 
Do I miss the town I grew up in? Yes, so much. Um, what are good programs for universities for sports journalism? Ohio University. And that's the only one I know, but um, I guess when I was researching schools, I knew Syracuse was outstanding, and I work with a lot of people that went to Syracuse. At CBS, a lot of the people um, in ownership and leadership and also broadcasters like Tracy Wilson and Dana Jacobson, they went to Michigan. They had a great program there. Northwestern's outstanding, I heard. Um, but Ohio University Script School of Journalism, it was unbelievable. They, they teach you the morals and the ethics and the, the you know, ins and outs of editing and shooting camera and producing shows. And as a student, I think this is why it's great is you're working. You're, if you want to be working as a student, you can be working like you're working in a small market, which a lot of big cities like Northwestern Chicago, people are getting paid to work in those markets. So students aren't getting hired. But at OU, it's you can do anything and be anything you want to be there and um you can do it all while while taking classes and uh you know learning that side of things but one of the things i thought was great about ou too is i learned so much um from actually working that when the classes came on how to create a rundown or shoot camera i felt like i was so ahead of the game because of the the actual experience i was gaining that was hands-on experience which was just to die for does it matter if it's a big time university or small no i actually think small universities are great because you can probably get more reps there's less competition get more work and it's all about the reps and making mistakes early while you're in college so that way when you hit the small markets um, right out of school you're ready what was the transition like from cbs to turner yeah that was that was a a really really easy transition because they had partnered together for the ncaa tournament while i was still at cbs so i was doing the ncaa tournament with both of them and then um, on top of doing college basketball and college football for cbs i also did 15, 10 to 15 NBA games a year for Turner on the side. So I already knew what it was like to work for them. It was hard giving up football because with basketball, there's so many basketball games that, that there isn't as much emphasis and magnitude, excitement and build up to each game. Where in football, it's one game a week. And if you lose one game, you're out of the college football playoff conversation for the most part. Um, and there's nothing like kickoff. But I did love the NBA because it's like big cities, nonstop flights, easier travel, um, games constantly, really big, fun personalities in the NBA. Um, and college football was four days of travel and work for one game. And I like doing more games. And um, I, I, I like the excitement around the league right now. And, um, you know, that players are showing they're not just athletes. They can do more than, in, in, than just the NBA players. They can really influence society and make a difference. And everybody has foundations and does such amazing work for their communities. And it's just a cool time to be covering the NBA right now. So it was a pretty easy transition. Football to basketball is different, but basketball I'll remember is my comfort zone. So for me, it was a, an easier transition than maybe for someone else. Ever get to hang out with Charles Barkley? Yes, he is a character and I love him so much. He, he's funny and outspoken, which you know, and, and uh, he says what's on his, his heart, which I think we all should do more of. But above all else, he's kind to other humans and he cares about people. He, he really cares about people. So he'll have you cracking up laughing and he'll take care of you too. And he's just a really nice guy and a good friend. And I, I consider myself so lucky to get to work with him and hang with him sometimes. Um, what did you do in high school to prepare for broadcasting? Nothing, honestly. Um, my life experiences, I think, got me ready for broadcasting. Like, tra I traveled the country for a year as Miss Teen USA, so I learned how to speak. I learned how to talk on camera and... Um, I learned what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be and what was important for me. I learned how to balance school and travel um, and personal life, which is something that's really hard in this business that you have to figure out. So those those things I learned, but we didn't have a broadcasting program when I was there. They do now, which is great, um, but they didn't have one there. So it was more just 
um, playing sports, getting to know the game, and then becoming comfortable with who I was as an individual and being on camera and, um, yeah, just growing up, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. The, the earlier and the more reps you can get, the better. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't do anything specifically to be a broadcaster in high school. Um, what advice for a high school student looking to get ahead in the business? Start a program, uh, shoot your high school football games, shoot your basketball games, call radio. Even if, even if you just get radio equipment that's used from a local radio station and you learn how to set it up and you pretend calling a game on your own, even if it doesn't make the airwaves, you can always be doing something if you want to be. If your school doesn't have a journalism program, start one from scratch, raise money for one, do a GoFundMe page, get out in the community and, and, um, just, I don't know, trying to make a difference. Look up great high school programs around the country and, um, you know, grab a camera, even if it's a cheap one. And sorry, <laughs> this curtain's kicking my butt. Even, even if it's a cheap camera and just, um, shoot standups, just practice, uh, getting comfortable on camera. All of that will help you, um, when you get into the business for sure. Let's see. What would you, um, let's see. What would you suggest to a high school student with no broadcast program? I think I answered that. Um, what things do you look for when you critique your own work? Definitely, um, pace. I think when you're in the heat of a game, you're excited and you're, you're emotional too. And so your voice tends to speed up, your pitch gets higher. That's uh, two things I look for. Um, did I get the most out of the subject that I was interviewing? And did I keep up with the pace of the game? So get in and out in between plays, um, be interactive with your broadcast partners and try to be the best teammate you can be. Those are all things that I look for. Thank you. I'm glad you like the music in the background. I feel like it's a stressful time and some peaceful music can really go a long way. See, how much do you rely on your notes when you're reporting? Early on, I relied on my notes a lot, and then I realized that the game changes so much, and what you want to get in, you usually can't. So I, I learned to learn a story or a subject, write down all the information I can, but don't rely on it. Really get to know what you're reporting so that even if you're walking in a huddle and your notes are over at the table where you were sitting and you can't get to them on time, but but if your story is relevant right now, you can do reporting on what you need to do reporting on without relying on um, your notes. Also, things change constantly. Um, you might write out a 30-second story, but studio takes it um, from one game to the next, and studio goes long, so your report gets cut to 10 seconds, but they still want you to do the report. And if you're a memorizer, you're going to be freaking out because you don't, you just memorize 30 seconds worth. How do you cut it to 10? But if you just know what's important in the information, you can adjust on the fly, which I think is 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 pretty critical um, and happens more than you think. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.